the Commons, a podcast featuring researchers, innovators, artists, entrepreneurs, and community builders who are improving the human condition in your own backyard and around the globe. I'm your host, Tom Osho. Search for the words blood and life force, and you will find stories and citations that are as old as the practice of medicine itself. Some ancient texts depict Hippocrates giving the first blood transfusion to an ailing youth in the 400s BC, although this is certainly the stuff of legend. Others point to Pope Innocent VIII, who is said to have spent his last days drinking the blood of three young boys in an effort to stave off death. It didn't work, and the physician who advised him on this ill-considered idea, the three boys all died, fled Vatican City before being arrested for murder. The real history of blood transfusion began with the discovery of circulation in 1616 and gained worldwide prominence with the successful early human transfusions by French mathematician and philosopher Jean-Baptiste Denis. Since then, the power of blood to treat disease and traumatic injury becomes more apparent every year. And while blood loss is the leading cause of preventable death after trauma, as a therapeutic agent, blood presents unique challenges regarding its supply and availability as casualties often outnumber available resources, access to blood banks is often limited, there are logistical difficulties in transportation, and the need for rapid transfusions amidst chaotic conditions on the battlefield or in the back of an ambulance pose significant hurdles. Ensuring an adequate supply of blood products and establishing efficient distribution channels are crucial for saving lives in the midst of conflict. Over the years, several companies have experimented with freeze-dried blood in an effort to overcome these limitations, all without success. But today, a new startup company, Calocyte, a collaboration of leading researchers in red blood cell physiology, trauma care, transfusion medicine, and nanotechnology is pushing through these barriers and could become the first such product to proceed to human trials. I sat down with Calocyte CEO Elaine Haynes in the company's lab at the University of Maryland, Baltimore, and the UMB Biopark to discuss their groundbreaking, bio-inspired, artificial red blood cells and what's next for this very interesting startup. My guest this afternoon is Elaine Hayes. She is the CEO of Calocyte. Elaine, welcome to the Commons. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. So tell me a little bit about what Calocyte is. So Calocyte, uh, Calocyte means beautiful cell. And we are on a mission to develop an artificial red blood cell substitute that is shelf-stable and can be on hand for use when blood is not available to save a life. Wow. Now, by shelf-stable, is, is this something then that can be shipped and kept in storage? That is the goal. So by shelf-stable, uh, we have taken all the water out, so it's a freeze-dried powder. Uh, just add water when needed. And it's shelf-stable, uh, meaning that it, can, it doesn't require any refrigeration. 
It can be stocked on the back of ambulances or carried in medic backpacks or stockpiled on shelves in emergency rooms for use when uh, blood is needed but not immediately available. Wow, so I can imagine that there are probably um, an awful lot of uh, militaries that would be interested in such a product as well as paramedics and others. Absolutely. In fact, uh, we are funded by the DOD and DARPA to help develop a solution for one of their top unmet needs, which is battlefield hemorrhage and also uh, disaster preparedness for when uh, blood is needed for a mass casualty event and, and not needed or not available. So tell me a little bit about the Calocyte story. You began in St. Louis, I think, right? Yes. Our, our product was originally uh, discovered by one of our three co-founders at, um, at Washington University in St. Louis. Um, the initial inventor, Dipanjan Pan, is a bioengineer, and he was developing self-assembling nanoparticles originally to encapsulate something else. Uh, but when he looked at the morphology or, or the pictures of, of the nanoparticles he created, he thought they resembled, well, first he thought they looked like a bagel. <laughs> but then he thought, well, no, that kind of like, looks like a red blood cell. I wonder if I could encapsulate hemoglobin and make it act like a red blood cell. So he went looking through the directory at WashU for a red blood cell physiologist. There was one. Dr. Allen Doctor, so okay. Dr. Doctor, <laughs> uh, paired up with him to see, okay, how can we make this nanoparticle act like a red blood cell, and is that something that would even be of interest or be, be useful? Also on uh, Allen Doctor's team at the time was Phil Spinella, who um, was recently in the Army and was rec recognized for his work on battlefield transfusion and immediately saw the benefit, particularly if they could make the product not only act like a red blood cell, but have it dried and shelf-stable to where it could be you know, carried and stocked and ready for helping with battlefield transfusion. So the, the three uh, worked through uh, initial proof of concept, got some initial funding from Washington University, and eventually got to the, the point where they were ready to form a company. So that's how Calicide got its start. Oh, and when did you join the company? So I joined uh, shortly after the initial seed raise. Um, Calocyte was searching for their first CEO. And it was at the time I was working as an EIR for Biogenerator. And I had been helping a number of startups with writing business plans. I was primarily working on imaging products, which was my, my background uh, from my prior life at Mallinckrodt Pharmaceuticals. Uh, and it was suggested that I take a look at Calocyte because they were looking for their first CEO. And reading their uh, initial business plan and approach, um, I fell in love with the concept and the science. And I had been looking for a startup that I could help grow, but I was mainly focusing on a startup that was developing something that was going to have a major impact on, on patient lives. And uh, Calocyte just checked all of those yeah. boxes. Uh, we had some initial conversations. And I worked for them as a consultant for a brief period of time because we both wanted to make sure that we had a, a good fit. And, and, we, and we did. So I joined the company, and here we are. What? There have been others who've tried this, right? Oh, o yes. Over the years, without success, 
What makes the Kayla site approach different? Yeah, so there's been, you know, it's a huge un- unmet need. And, you know, the best thing to replace blood in, in bleeding patients is is donor blood, but it's type-specific and it's perishable and requires refrigeration. So it's not a great solution. Many have tried to develop a substitute. They have all largely failed due to safety and efficacy issues. And the reason for that, Tom, is uh, prior attempts largely relied on taking hemoglobin molecules and either cross-linking or polymerizing them into bigger hemoglobin molecules to keep them in the, the vasculature. But they were all lacking a protective membrane like a red blood cell membrane that serves to help regulate the oxygen transport and, more importantly, protect the hemoglobin from trapping nitric oxide which is nature's vasodilator. And when you trap that or pull it out of the the bloodstream, you get vasoconstriction, stroke, and heart attacks. Not good when you've got a, a bleeding patient that is already compromised. So those products have all failed. At the time they failed, nanotechnology was becoming, was growing. And when Dr. Pan discovered the erythromer membrane, they also incorporated other molecules to uh, to really interact with the hemoglobin and and make that um, uh, product safer and more effective than than prior attempts. So they leveraged the failures of prior attempts and built on that, knowing some of the potential pitfalls, and developed something that was essentially bulletproof and and specifically addressed the previous failures. You said, blood is type specific, is this universal? It is. uh, Because it's a synthetic uh, lipid, essentially a lipid nanoparticle membrane, it lacks the surface antigens that determine blood type, making erythromer a solution for patients of all blood types. Uh, It's also um, can be used in multiple species. So we are pursuing a veterinary indication as well which is particularly of interest uh, to the military for their, um, their soldier dogs, as well as for companion animals. Uh, in fact, one of our investors is a veterinary angel network that is particularly interested in helping us uh, pers- pursue that indication. This is a real game changer. But before I get too excited about it, uh, talk to me a little bit about the pathway now, where where you are, mm-hmm. and and what it takes to get to an FDA approval where we would maybe start seeing this in, in clinics, ambulances, and, and the battlefield. Absolutely. So um, FDA is um, is helping us with focusing on making sure the product is first and foremost safe, and then also effective. And and the FDA process that we'll go through um, will be through the Center for Biologic Evaluation and Research, or CBER. So we'll go through as a biologic through the same office that oversees our nation's blood supply and and blood components. Uh, We'll go through three phases of clinical trials, uh, starting with healthy normal patients in a small number to make sure that it's safe. We'll then advance to hospitalized patients, uh, surgical patients, and and trauma patients to make sure that it is effective in patients. And then our phase three trials will be in a larger number of patients in a pre-hospital setting for for trauma. Uh, That process takes easily seven years, and we're about two years from from starting that process. So right now what we're working on is making sure that the product is uh, in its final form so we can do our 
IND enabling studies, which we will then submit to FDA and get approval to start our, our human trials. You and I just walked over to the Commons Baltimore studios past shock trauma. Um, was that part of the appeal from the move then from St. Louis here to Baltimore? Uh, it was definitely on the list. And, and the reason we, we moved from St. Louis uh, to Baltimore uh, was we were at a point where we wanted to expand the research. Um, and, and we knew that in, in order to bring this product from the lab um, into, into reality, uh, it was going to take a, a great deal of uh, work and collaboration between the company and our academic founders. By moving here, we were able to get support from the University of Maryland to co-locate with our, with our founders in, in the research lab. Uh, so Calisite leases space from the university for offices, labs, um, and uh, we access equipment and space through a, a specialized uh, core lab agreement. That allows us uh, a couple of things. First of all, it's very cost effective. Uh, secondly, we are co-located with our founders and interact on a daily basis uh, as we are um, scaling up our product and doing uh, testing both in the lab uh, on the benchtop and in animals. Uh, and that has really accelerated our development beyond what we would be able to do if uh, we were in separate buildings. So that was one reason. As we looked at our developmental pathway, though, we, we knew that it was going to require um, additional capital, uh, both from grants and from investors. And uh, while St. Louis is a, a great and, and growing uh, medical community and, and biotech area, uh, it really lacks the proximity that we enjoy here in Maryland to NIH, uh, to the, the Department of Defense, and where their funding decisions are made. And, and more of the investor base that is, is located in the mid-Atlantic region. So we knew that we'd be better positioned in Maryland, uh, closer to, to stakeholders, um, to, to access uh, funding and, and expertise. And then the last piece was, was talent. Maryland has more employed PhDs per capita than any state in the union. And we knew we were going to need a lot of specialized expertise to really make this product work. Uh, so all of those reasons uh, were, were very attractive to us and were, was the reason we uh, chose to uproot our, our families and relocate to the Mid-Atlantic. Well, hopefully it's been a, a good relocation for everybody. Yeah. One of the things that, that you talked about was the importance of being able to go along the development um, continuum really there in tight proximity to your founders. And, and so I, I think that's one of the advantages of a knowledge community, like the University of Maryland's Biopark, where mm -hmm. all of that is together. Agree? Absolutely. I mean, you know, not only do we have um, other, other startup companies here, um, you know, other CEOs, but there are um, funders, there are support services that are specifically designed for, for startups and for innovation. Uh, you mentioned earlier shock trauma. There's a lot of uh, research that is uh, complementary to what we're working on, uh, and the University of Maryland, as well as you know the uh, the other university on yep. on the east side yep. of town, Johns Hopkins, uh, is very focused on innovation and entrepreneurship. Uh, so it's it's just you know in the DNA in the in this area, um, you know, fostering the the collaboration 
uh, setting up networks. Um, there are tremendous state resources that are available for, for funding and supporting that innovation. And all of those things uh, work together to, uh, to really provide that support and growth network. Yeah, you said you were uh, walking over here. You were part of a CEO group here at the Biopark. Yeah, we actually met this morning. Uh, there's a group of about 15 uh, C- Biopark CEOs that uh, meet on a monthly basis. Uh, each week one of, or each uh, time we meet, uh, one of us will go through a, a SWOT analysis of, of our business. And uh, we'll just catch up on you know, what are the, some of the challenges uh, we're dealing with, uh, what are some uh, some of the recent wins. Um, how are we approaching investors? And we really, you know, share with each other and, and learn from each other. And you know, it's a nice, safe uh, place to interact with your peers. And has uh, has already paid off with with some uh, new connections that we've been able to help each other make. Well, and one of those connections, full transparency, uh, the Wexford SciTech Venture Fund was is proud to have taken a position in your company in its latest race. Absolutely. And in fact, uh, Wexford is our newest investor. Mm-hmm. So we are very excited, not only the financial support, but also uh, the, the networking and connections that that brings. What I really look for in investors is, you know, can you help me either with expertise, with access to, you know, to, to space or resources or connections to, to others. So I feel like I get all of that uh, from Wexford, so it's been helpful. Well, thank you. And, and it's yeah. one of the things that is an investment thesis uh, of the venture fund is how can the power of a knowledge community and all 17 knowledge communities really help startup companies achieve scale maybe in a way that they couldn't before or access resources or solve problems. So as a former EIR, uh, let me ask, what should other startups out there be thinking about as they're looking to form a company and choose a location? So I would think about a couple of things. You know, first of all, start with the end in mind. You know, are you looking to scale and uh, do your own manufacturing and eventually IPO? Um, or are you looking to exit by acquisition at some point along, along the way? And, and that will help guide um, how much space you need and, and how you need to, to grow and accelerate. Uh, we knew early on that our, our path was to exit by acquisition sometime during clinical trials. So uh, we may not need the, you know, the same large spaces that a company like uh, initially Paragon mm-hmm. would yep. have, have needed to, uh, to build out a, a service business. Uh, so that allows us to operate with a little bit smaller footprint. Um, but also important is to think about who are you going to be working with? You know, you need to collaborate with a, a, a number of other uh, companies. In our case, uh, we were collaborating with our uh, with our, our scientific founders for doing uh, some of the in vivo uh, work for us. So it was important for us to be in close proximity to, uh, to to those resources. But you know, think about what type of resources are you going to need, and how are you going to access them, and that can influence uh, where you want to be. And uh, and then you know, look at your flexibility. You know, do you have will you have the flexibility with with your location to uh, to grow and scale, or to you know sometimes you need to scale back uh, if you need to, to to pivot. So all those things are important to keep in mind. But think about where you're going first, and then you can figure out how you're going to get there. Um, the final question I've been asking people uh, this season is, who inspires you the most? You know, when I I initially went into to healthcare. Um, I'm a pharmacist by training, 
and you know really wanted to translate you know chemistry and biology into into practice to to help uh, patients. As as I you know moved through my career, my I aspired to help you know make more of an impact and and help more patients, and and that's what inspired me to join Calisite when I saw the life saving saving technology that was being developed. So really keeping close to you know the customer, the patient is is what inspires me the most. That's tremendous. And your passion shows through in, in your work. And thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate the opportunity oh. to tell our story. Oh, it's been great to hear your story. And I know it's just beginning. My guest this afternoon has been Elaine Hayes. She is the CEO of Calocyte. I'm Tom Osha. And this is The Commons. The Commons is a production of Wexford Science and Technology, LLC. Views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guest. To view additional material about today's episode, submit questions or story ideas, or learn more about Wexford Science and Technology, please visit www.wexfordscitech.com forward slash the commons. I'm your host, Tom Osha. Thanks for listening.